You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, let us pray. O Lord, thou hast suffered men to bruise thee, that from pain we might be free. Falsely did thy foes accuse thee, thence we gain security. Comfortless thy soul did languish us to comfort in our anguish. Thousand, thousand thanks shall be, dearest Jesus, unto thee. Amen. Jesus took your place. He took your place under God's wrath, the suffering that you deserved, that I deserved. He took it for you. Thus, He made an eternal redemption for you. He is your atoning sacrifice. His blood avails before the Father so that there is nothing to fear in life and in death because the Lord Jesus has died for you. This is the preaching of the Scriptures. And when we say the Scriptures, we mean both the Old Testament and the New. All the way from the beginning to the end, the Lord wants us to know that Jesus is the Savior, the One who dies in our place. And to see that, today we're going to consider this epistle lesson from Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to dig into it and see the comfort that's there for us. Now, a couple of points by way of introduction. We want to remember first that the book of Hebrews is putting Jesus before our eyes constantly as the greater one. Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus chapter 3 and 4 is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Aaron, the high priest. Jesus is greater than the sacrifices of the old covenant. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater and better than all of these things. And particularly in the text today from Hebrews chapter 9, it wants to make the point that Jesus is greater than the works appointed for the day of atonement. Now, this Day of Atonement is perhaps the most important day that the Lord appointed to be celebrated under the Old Testament. We'll remember that when God, when God rescued the people out of Egypt and He brought them out into the wilderness so that they could worship Him, and they brought them to Mount Sinai, and Moses went up to get instructions. And He got instructions for everything. He got instructions for the tabernacle, for the temple, for the priesthood, for the, for the worship service, for what they're supposed to eat and how they're supposed to dress for the seven various feasts of the Old Covenant. And amongst those feasts, the greatest that the Lord is appointed through Moses is the the feast of the Day of Atonement. In fact, it's a whole week of feasts culminating in the Day of Atonement. I read uh, this week that they thought on this day that they sacrificed 15 distinct animals, all sacrificed by the high priest. And he's the one doing most of the activity of this day. And in fact, so busy is the high priest on the Day of Atonement that he has to change his clothes five times, each one involving a full-body bath, that he washes his hands and his feet ten times, and that he single-handedly offers the sacrifice of these 15 animals. So much work it was that all the priests were gathered around to help him. And, and one source said that at the height of this, that they had over 500 people, 500 priests, assisting the high priest so that he could get it all done in the appointed 24 hours. 
But what does it all mean? I mean, what's happening and what does it mean? We want to remember that when God was, gi- when God was giving Moses these instructions, He was letting Moses uh, make a, a, a picture or a shadow of the things that he saw. God said to Moses when he was there in the heavenly throne room on the top of Mount Sinai, He says, the things that you see make a copy of, a shadow of, on the ground, so that so that the things that are in heaven that Moses could see, we get a glimmer of when we see the appointed worship that God gave to Moses. So, just as an example, remember how God had Moses build the tabernacle, and there was the outer room called the holy place, and then there was the inner chamber called the holiest of holies, or the holy of holies, the most holy place. And in that place, in that room, it was a square room. In fact, it was a cube room. It was as wide as it was long as it was tall, a perfect cube. And in the middle of that room was the Ark of the Covenant. It was covered in gold. And it had a seat that was made out of solid gold. And, and, and remember, it had the two angels that were above it. And then woven into the, into the cloth, into the curtain that covered the Holy of Holies were two more angels. Well, what's going on there? Every time we get a glimpse of the heavenly throne room, when the, prophets, when the curtain is pulled back and the prophets are able to see where God is, they see His throne which is radiating with light and glory and there's four living creatures surrounding that throne. Remember, they look very strange to us. They have six wings all covered in eyes and they have four faces, the face of a man and an eagle and an ox and a lion and they're flying around singing holy, holy, holy. It is, as the Bible describes them, we think, boy, that's frightful looking, but we have this, I mean, maybe I can't 100% guarantee this to you, But as close as I can give you a guarantee, when you at last see those four living creatures with your eyes, you'll be stunned with their beauty. I mean, it's hard to to translate that beauty to something on earth. But those those four living creatures really exist. The throne of God really exists. It really is radiating with light. And Moses makes a picture of it with the golden seat and with the four angels that are pictured there. So when you see the tabernacle of the Old Testament, you're seeing like a living picture of the reality of the throne room of God in heaven. And the Bible, especially the book of Hebrews, the Bible's giving us these hints about, about what the stuff in the tabernacle means for the stuff in heaven. So, for example, there was an incense altar that was right there in front of the veil. And that smoke would not only fill the holy place, but the most holy place. And that is given to us as a picture of, the, of our own prayers as they rise, as they rise before the throne of God. Or there's the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And this is given to us as a picture of that which separates sinners from the holy God. Or, and perhaps most importantly, there were the sacrifices that were happening all around the tabernacle, and those sacrifices are a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. The death of our Lord on the cross. So that all of the blood that was being spilt in the tabernacle and being spilt in the temple is a picture, it's a preaching of the blood of Jesus. The work of the priest. The blood of Jesus. The animals on the altar. The blood of Jesus. The whole burnt offering. The sacrifice of Jesus. This is what it was meant to preach. And this this all gets very specific on the Day of Atonement. It was the tenth day of the seventh month. It was called, by the way, I I saw this also this week, that the Day of Atonement was called the Good Friday of the Old Testament. 
Now, actually, I think that's kind of nice. I mean, we think about Good Friday as the most solemn of all days of the church here. Well, that's how the Day of Atonement would have been in the Old Testament. And it's told, it's given to us all over the, uh, the uh, books of Moses, but it's especially the Leviticus 16, which can be your homework. It's, the, it's, uh, it's what's the, the appointments of that day are laid out. It, for example, it was the only time that anybody at any time all year would enter into the Holy of Holies. All the other work in the temple was done outside in the holy place. Only once a year would someone go into the most holy place. And it was only one person who went, the high priest. And he went twice that day. The, the, the rules of the day were the high priest would wake up early in the, well, maybe they would keep him up until midnight and he would begin his work there and he would, he would go and he'd offer the morning sacrifices and then he'd go into a special place and he'd change clothes. He'd take off his high priest clothes and he'd put on white garments to go in and then he would go and they would have a selection of the animals. They would have a bull there and they would have two goats and they would cast lots for the goats. And then they, he would take that bull and he would offer the bull as a sacrifice and he would take the blood of the bull and he would go into the holy place. And then Moses says he's to take a handful of incense and put the incense on the coals so that the whole temple is covered with this cloud of incense. And Moses says why. In fact, God tells Moses why to cover the ark because if the ark isn't covered when the high priest goes in, he'll die. So he, he makes this huge cloud of incense to hide the ark from himself and then he goes in with his bowl full of the blood of the bull and he puts the blood of the bull seven times on the east side of the altar and he sprinkles it on there. And he comes out and now he takes the goat and he offers the goat on the sacrifice. And this is for the sins of the people. The bull is for his own sins. The goat's for the people's sins. And then he carries that goat, the blood of the goat, in there and he does the same thing. He stokes the incense again to make a cloud so that he could barely see the ark. And then he goes in with the blood and he sprinkles it seven times on the east side of the ark of the covenant there. And then he leaves and he changes his clothes and he washes and he makes... And then he lays his hands on the scapegoat. Remember, he speaks the sin of the people and they drive it into the wilderness. And there's even special provision for the clothes of the man who drives the goat into the wilderness and how he's supposed to cleanse himself to come back into the temple. And it's not over then because then he makes the normal sacrifices that are there. And all of these things are happening uh, on, a, on a single day to atone for the sins of the people. Now, what do we make of it? What is that preaching? We know first that, that it is not safe to go into the presence of God. That's why the Lord has appointed and made all of these provisions for the people. So that they could stand in the presence of God and not die. It is not safe to look on the face of the Lord. This is what Moses learned in Exodus 32. That nobody can see the face of God and live. And it's not the... It's not the problem of God's face. It's the problem of our sin. Our sin, our, our failures, our unholiness make us unworthy to stand before the face of God, to be in His presence. And so He's established a way that we can come into His presence. But it's a way of blood. It's a way of death. It's a way of sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, the way is always incomplete. It's not enough for the for the high priest to offer the blood of a bull, he then has to offer the blood of a goat. And then it's not enough that he offers the blood of a goat, he then has to speak the sins of the people on the head of another goat and drive him out into the wilderness. And it's not enough to do that, but then he has to go and make a sin offering of a lamb and another goat and another ox. 
And it never ends. Because the next day, the people wake up and come back to the tabernacle and do it again. The morning offering and the evening offering and the sin offering. And the next year, on the tenth day of the seventh month, they're back at it again. And maybe it's a new high priest, but it's the same day of atonement. The same blood, the same bull, the same, go- the same sacrifice, the same liturgy, the same ritual. It's happening over and over and over again. And so it preaches to us these two things. That it is not safe to go into the presence of God, but that the way of the Old Testament... The shadow way into the presence of God is not yet complete. It's pointing to something else. And the thing that it's pointing to is Jesus and his death on the cross. The thing that the Day of Atonement is pointing to is the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the high priest and who is the sacrifice that takes away sin. So with the context, I want you to hear the text again. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. It's in the bulletin if you want to follow along. Listen to what it says there. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. So Jesus is the high priest who offers Himself as the sacrifice. Not a bull or a goat. He offers Himself as the sacrifice. He Himself is the scapegoat. He, and then He collects His own blood and He carries that blood into the Holy of Holies, but not into the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, not into the temple that was made with hands. He takes His blood into heaven itself. Not, he, he's not dealing in shadows. He's dealing in reality. His business is not with the temple made with hands, but with the temple where God sits, where God dwells. And so He carries His own blood into heaven itself, and He presents this sacrifice, this final and this perfect sacrifice, He presents it before the face of God. Now we should see this like a courtroom, where there we are being judged, being found guilty, but evidence is presented before the judge, and the evidence that's presented there in the heavenly court is not the evidence of your works and not the evidence evidence of your own efforts. It's the evidence of the sacrifice and suffering of Jesus. It's the evidence of His blood. It's the evidence of the cross. That is carried before God the Father. And the result, dear saints, is this. You are acquitted. Your sins do not prevail before the throne of God. Your sins are forgiven. The text continues, verse 13. If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of an heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the sacrifices of the Old Testament were sufficient to cleanse the body, to make you clean to participate in the life of the temple. But the sacrifice of the New Testament, the sacrifice of Jesus, it cleanses your heart. It purifies, the text says, it purifies your conscience. It makes you 
fit to participate in the very life of God. Now, this is the point. So, all together now, this is, got me? This is the point that we've been driving at. The Bible teaches this that the death of Jesus on the cross changes the condition of your conscience. The blood of Jesus carried into heaven purifies your conscience. And it purifies it from something and to something. From dead works and to the service of the living God. He he purifies you from sin. He purifies you from attempts to cleanse yourself and please God by your own efforts. These never deliver a clean and pure conscience. And He delivers us to a good conscience by His mercy and His blood and His forgiveness and His sacrifice, which which springs forth in life a love for God and the neighbor. The The blood of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, matters for the state of your conscience. And it matters today. I used, to, I, I used to ask this question when I would go and see people as they were dying. I would ask them, how's your conscience? And the problem with that question is they could kind of get out of it. So I changed my question. And it's this. What troubles your conscience? I want to ask that question to you. What troubles your conscience? What is troubling your conscience today? Is it some old sin? Or some new sin? Is it your, is it your doubts? Is it your fears? Is it the past? And your shame and your guilt? Or is it the future and your worry and anxiety? Or whatever. What, what is troubling your conscience now? Is it troubled towards God? Is it trouble towards your neighbor? Toward your parents? Toward your spouse? Toward your children? Where is the trouble? I suspect all of us could could list one thing after another that troubles our conscience because our conscience, remember, like the throne room of God, our conscience is like a little courtroom. And if the conscience is working right, then we stand in that conscience and we are on trial and God is the judge. And what's the verdict? I mean, we know, we know what the verdict ought to be, that we're guilty, that we're sinners, that we are unclean, that we are unholy, that we are unfit for the presence of God. We know, we know our own works, and if our works were the evidence presented in the courtroom of our conscience, we know that we are guilty, and in fact we are. But Jesus has died. Jesus has died. He has offered Himself as the atoning sacrifice. He has carried carried your sin to the cross where He suffered for them. And He has carried His blood into the heavenly court. And there, the verdict has been spoken. You have an eternal redemption. Your sins, all of them, are forgiven. Every one of them. And that verdict has been brought down to you. If you want a shadow of the heavenly reality, we have it every time we gather into this room. And it delivers the verdict of the heavenly council. But listen, I'll tell you what the verdict is. I told you already once today, but I'll I'll tell you again in case you missed. 
I, as a called and ordained servant of our Lord Jesus Christ, announce the grace of God to you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That is what's being spoken of you in heaven, just as it is now. So that there's not a single sin held against you. And if that's not enough, the the same blood that Jesus presents before the Father as the price of your your eternal redemption is the same blood that Jesus has for you now in just a few minutes. As evidence. As evidence of your acquittal. As evidence of His atonement. As evidence of your redemption. As proof of God's love. So take heart. Jesus, your Jesus, does not intend for you to have a bad conscience. He wants to cleanse it. To wash it. To make it pure. With the only thing that can take away the stain of sin. The blood of Jesus Christ. God be praised. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.